Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church this morning. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Teresa Breeding. I am the Women's Ministry Director and one of the teaching pastors here at Grace. I'm breathing too hard too, aren't I? <laughs> is that better? <laughs> okay. Sorry, Kirk. I'm a challenge. <laughs> uh, we're glad that you could be here with us this morning at Grace Community Church. We're going to be continuing on in our study of the book of 1 Samuel this morning with a message that I like to call, In the Meantime. And you'll find out in a few minutes why I called, called it that. But let's go to the Lord in prayer before I get started this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for each person that's in this room today, Lord. You planned for them to be here today to hear this message, Lord. And I pray that you will speak it through me clearly, that their hearts and minds will be open to hear what you have to say to them individually this morning. Lord, that you've already spoken to me individually. And I thank you for that, Lord. We commit this time to you and ask that you be here in our presence. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're picking up this morning. At this point in our study, the Israelite people, remember, had asked for a king. And they wanted to have a king like all the other nations did. They wanted a human being as their king. Because remember, God had set these people apart to be his people. And he was their king. And they were a nation that was just different than the other nations. They were governed differently. They were to act differently. They were to look differently. Because they were God's people. But now they want a king. They want a man with flesh and bones to, to, to go out ahead of them into battle. And to lead them into battle. Now, it's not really that it was wrong of them to want a king. Uh, God was going to give them a king anyway. He was going to give them a king. Later, he had planned to give David to them as a king. But at this point in the story, David had not even been born yet. And they want a king right then. And so God gives them what they ask for. He gives them Saul. And uh, we'll see. It's, it's 25 years later now. And it hasn't worked out so well. So today we're going to be introduced to David. Uh, God intends to replace Saul with David, but for a while he'll kind of be in the background. He'll kind of be in the shadows. And that's why the name of our series changed today from the people's king, which was Saul, to the shadow king, which is David, because he's going to be in the shadows for a while before he takes over the throne. But David is one of my favorite people to study in the Bible because I can really relate to David, and I think that you can too. Uh, David's whole life was a battle. It was a battle on the outside. It was a battle on the inside. It was a battle on the outside with big guys like, like Saul and Goliath, and it was a battle on the inside with his own temptations, like for lust and murder. Uh, he struggled. And we'll also see that the nation of Israel, all throughout David's reign, all throughout history in general, the nation of Israel fought battles. They fought battles from without, and they fought battles from within. They fought battles on the outside with other nations, like the Amalekites, and the Philistines, and the Babylonians, and the Assyrians, and the list goes on and on. They had lots of battles on the outside. They had battles on the inside. They had battles between David and Saul, between their leadership, all throughout history. 
And so we'll see that as well. So I think that we can really relate to this because we all have these inner and outer battles ourselves, don't we? We have battles on the outside with people and with circumstances of life in general. And we have battles on the inside with temptations of our own, uh, with the fact that we face every single day, we face the choice of following God or following the world, of doing what we want to do or doing what God would have us to do. And we have those battles every single day. And I want you to know that even when you choose God, it doesn't make the battles any easier. You'll have more victories. You'll have more victories. But the battles are still there. And that was true of David's life. There's more written about David than any other Old Testament character. 66 chapters in the Bible talk about David. Um, if you remember from our study of the book of Ruth, he is the great-great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz. Remember, they had a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David. And so we are introduced to David here today. He's a young shepherd boy in Bethlehem of seemingly little importance. Yet in about a thousand years, another young boy is going to be introduced to Bethlehem. And when the angel announces his coming, the angel says, Unto you a son is born in the city of David. In the city of David, this little shepherd boy, his town is now going to be, or going to later be known as the city of David. So that's very important. Right now he's a nobody. Right now he's just a stinky little shepherd boy watching his sheep. They are stinky. <laughs> All right, let, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. If you'll turn there in your Bibles or on your Bible app, or it'll also be up here on the big screen that we call the Sky Bible. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So see, King Saul had gotten prideful. He rebelled against God. He wanted to do things his own way and not God's way. And so God finally said, enough is enough. Samuel, I'm sending you to anoint someone else. And so he sends him off. He didn't tell him who he was going to anoint. He just told him that it was going to be one of the sons of Jesse. And so he goes to anoint him, but Samuel is really struggling with this because he has really invested into Saul. He really wanted Saul to succeed. He really wanted Saul to be faithful to God, but he wasn't. And so we don't know how much time has passed, but at some point, God looks at Saul and says, how long are you going to mourn? Or he looks at Samuel and says, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? And I think that we can all relate to that as well because there are times when life gets hard and things happen and we get sad and we get depressed and we think, I don't think I can ever move on from this. And that's kind of where Samuel was. He was sad and depressed and he, did, he, he was struggling to move on and God's like, come on, Samuel, we're moving on. We're going to anoint a new king. You need to get up. You need to get going. You need to get with the program. I'm moving, and you need to move with me. And Samuel struggled with it. He struggled with it a lot, and I think that we can relate to that in our own lives. But just like Samuel, 
the, the obedient thing for us to do is to get up and go and follow God's direction. Because he's doing something new over here. And if we stay bogged down over here in the past and don't move forward, then we're going to miss out on the blessing that he has for us that he's already working on over here because we get bogged down over here. And so that's what he was trying to tell Samuel, to, to get up and come on, we're moving forward. So Saul had rejected, refused to obey God. Instead of following his instructions, he insisted on doing things his way. Look at verse 2. It says, but Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. So he's like, Saul is still king. And you want me to go and anoint somebody else to be king? Saul is going to be so mad at me. Yeah, he's, he's scared because this is the equivalent of treason. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Because they're like, uh-oh, you know, like the principal just walked in. We're in trouble. And they're nervous and they tremble. Maybe they'd heard about Samuel. Maybe they had heard about how he had killed King Agag and cut him up into pieces. And that was in chapter 15, if you missed that. Uh, I think that would be enough to scare me. So they're scared. They tremble. Verse 5, Samuel replied, yes, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So it doesn't tell us what Eliab looked like, but he must have looked good. <laughs> like real good. Because <laughs> when Samuel saw him, he was like, That's got to be the king. That's the one. I imagine that he probably looked similar to Saul. Because remember, Saul was very good looking. He was the best looking guy around. And he stood a head above everyone else. He had a presence when he entered the room. To heads turned and looked at him when he entered the room. And I'd say that's probably what Eliab looked like as well. He looked like a king. He looked like a leader. Verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We look at the outward appearance, right? We don't really want to admit that, but it's true. It's like if you've ever watched The Bachelor, which y'all don't have to admit it if you have, but uh, I think you have. And uh, <laughs> if you've ever watched The Bachelor on that first night when those women get out of that limo, they're just drop-dead gorgeous. You know, she steps out of the limo. She's beautiful from head to toe. She's got the perfect body, the perfect hair, the perfect skin, the perfect outfit, the perfect accessories. Everything is perfect. And then it pops up on the screen and tells you that she owns her own business. So she's successful and beautiful. She's got it all going, right? And not just her, all of them, every single one of them that steps out of that limo, just drop-dead gorgeous. And you ask yourself, how in the world are these women still single? <laughs> See, y'all have seen episode two. <laughs> because on episode two, they open their mouth. 
yep. And then you go, oh, I get it. Yeah, she ain't never going to get married. <laughs> Bless her heart, she ain't never going to get married. Because we start to see their heart, right? And see, we, we, but we meet people like this in real life too, don't we? Like they are absolutely gorgeous. And then you get to know them. And you're like, no, they ain't all that. <laughs> because their heart starts to affect even the way they physically appear to you. Right? And it works the other way too. You can meet somebody that's, you know, okay looking. And then you can see their heart, and their heart is beautiful. And they start to become even more physically attractive to you because their heart's so beautiful. That's like when we see, you know, that odd couple. You always see that odd couple with the gorgeous girl and the guy who's just not. And, <laughs> and you think, what does she see in him? He must have money. <laughs> But then you realize it's his heart, that she sees his heart, and that he's become irresistible to her, even physically, because his heart is so beautiful. But we see the outside first. And sometimes we don't even give people a chance because of the outside, because they don't look like we think that they should look. But God sees the heart, and God sees your heart. So that statement will either bring you great comfort or great discomfort. Because he sees your heart. He knows not just what you do, but why you do what you do. He knows if you give to the needy, he knows if you're given because you want to meet a need or because you want to be the hero. He knows if you're serving in ministry if you're serving because you want to see people meet Jesus or because you want to be in the spotlight. He knows. It's the heart that's important to him. It's the heart that's important to him. He sees the inside first. He doesn't care what label's on your shirt, what kind of car you drive. He doesn't care what kind of house you live in, the balance in your bank account, whether you've got your makeup on or your hair fixed. He doesn't care if you're a garbage man or a CEO. He doesn't care about those things. We get distracted by those things. God does not. God does not. The heart is all that matters to him. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by Samuel. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Now, we know that Jesse has another son, right? But Samuel doesn't know that. All Samuel knows is that God sent him to Jesse to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. And as far as he knows, all of Jesse's sons have paraded in front of him, and God has said no to every single one of them. And I think that if I was at Samuel, if I was Samuel at this point, I would be like, what is up, God? Like, you sent me all the way here. I risked my life to come here. And you're going to say no to every single one of these guys? I think I would be tempted to just pick one 
And to just be like, Ilya, he looks good. He's the one. Thus saith the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would be tempted. But not Samuel. Samuel never questions God at all. He does, however, question Jesse. Verse 11. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. So he's tending the sheep. His own father didn't even call him in. Never even considered the fact that he could be the one. His own father. And I think about this and I think about, like, have you ever felt overlooked in your life? It's like I remember back in elementary school. You know, the schoolyard pick. It was gym class, you know. And they're going to play dodgeball or kickball or whatever kind of ball. And so they always picked the, the most athletic people to be the team captains. I never thought they should do that. But anyway, I won't get into that. But <laughs> they always picked them. And, of course, th these guys would be my best friends before gym class. And then, <laughs> you see, you've been there. Then we line up in front of them, and all of a sudden, I'm completely invisible. They, it's like they don't know my name. They didn't even see me standing there. You know, and it, it gets down to, you know, two. It always gets down to two. We're the leftovers. Somebody has to take us, right? And it just felt, it felt terrible. I hated gym class. I hated it because sports were not my forte, obviously. But... Uh, it always have to, and I know that some of you have had that exact same experience. And some of you are on a, on a different level experiencing that today. You feel overlooked. You feel ignored. You feel passed by in life today. And if that's you, I just want you to know that God sees you. God sees you. And he created you for a purpose. He sees value in you. He created you for a reason. And if you will make yourself available to him, he's going to do mighty things through you. So just get ready. Get ready for that. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And see, I love this because David is out in the field tending his sheep, minding his own business, doing his thing. He has no idea that at that very moment, his father is back at the house having a conversation with the prophet of God that is going to change his life forever. But he has no idea. And as I was reading this, I had to ask, why David? Like of all people that God could have chosen, why did he choose David? He could have chosen someone older. Someone with more experience, that was more established, that was more well-known. Why would he choose David? And the answer was told to us back in chapter 13, verse 14. It said, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. David was a man after God's own heart. So what does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? It means that you are a person who structures their life in such a way that everything you do revolves around God. Everything you do is based on God 
and God's will and God's plan. Every plan that you make, every choice that you make, the, the goals that you set are, are, are chosen with the distinct purpose to honor God and bring Him glory in your life. That is what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. It does not mean that you are perfect. It does not mean that you don't sin or you don't make mistakes. That's not realistic, and that's not who David was. David made a lot of mistakes. You know, lies, adultery, murder. He made a lot of mistakes. He was not perfect by any means. But being after God's own heart doesn't mean that you don't sin. It means that you recognize your sin as sin. And that it grieves you like it grieves God. That you are convicted of your sin. David, he wrote Psalm 51 after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And this is what he said in Psalm 51. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And he goes on to talk about his sin and about how sorry he is for his sin. His sins grieve him. He's convicted. He's sorry. He wants to do better. He's a man after God's own heart. So where did David get this heart after God? From spending time with the Lord. Because remember, David was also the one that wrote the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. David was a shepherd. So he knew exactly what it meant to be a shepherd. He knew exactly what it meant to, to care for your sheep, to protect your sheep, to provide for your sheep. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The more time that you spend with the Lord, the, the, the more that you make him the shepherd and the authority of your life, the more your life will reflect that. the more that your, your heart aligns with God's heart and your will aligns with God's will. And you desire his guidance. You desire his direction. I remember when I was younger, hearing people say, if you want something in life, you've got to get after it. And maybe that's a southern thing. I don't know. It's a good advice. If you want to spell get with an I, you can. I do. But uh, if you want something in life, you've got to get after it. If you want an education, get after it. If you want a promotion, get after it. If you want that man or that woman, get after it. If you want a relationship with God, get after it. Amen. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You don't have to be someone of special ability. David was not a person of a special ability. He, he just sought after God. He wasn't seeking the kingship. He, he wasn't seeking to be king. I'm sure that thought never even crossed his mind. Because why would it? They had a king. So he wouldn't have even thought about trying to be the king. But as he sought after God, God elevated him to king. He didn't have any special ability. The only ability that God looks for is availability. Availability. He will, he will qualify the people that he has chosen. 
You don't have to have 10,000 Facebook followers or TikTok followers. You don't have to, to be somebody in this world for God to use you. He'll make you somebody in his world, and he will use you. Verse 12, so he sent for him, meaning David, and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So as we talked about a few weeks ago, anointing with oil, anointing with oil meant that they poured the oil over the person's head. It didn't mean that they just put a little dab on their forehead. They actually poured the oil over their head. We, we see in Psalm 133 a priest being anointed, and it says that the oil ran down his beard and dripped onto his robe. It was a pouring. And so Samuel, what he would have done, what he, would have, he would have taken the ram's horn, and he would have filled it with oil, and he would have poured it on top of David's head. And it would have run down his face. And it's, it's, the, it's symbolic of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on David's life. And it says that the Holy Spirit came powerfully upon David in that moment. It was a big, big moment in David's life. But so now he's anointed. He's anointed. But Saul is still king. Saul is still king. He, David's not king yet. God is still preparing him for that. He's the anointed one, but he's still being prepared. Just like Jesus Christ is our anointed one, Christ means the anointed one. But he has not yet taken the throne. Okay, He is our king of kings and our lord of lords, but he hasn't taken the throne yet. He will someday. But as for now, in the meantime, see what I did there? Because that's the title of the message. In the meantime, we are still being prepared for that. And people say, well, you know, if Jesus is the king of kings, then why is there so much chaos in the world? Well, because he's not on the throne yet. He will be someday, but he's not on the throne yet. And in the meantime, Satan, who Jesus referred to as the prince of this world, he is allowed to roam and cause havoc and cause chaos. He still has power in this world. Someday, Jesus will kick him out. But that hasn't happened yet. Right now, he's allowed to have some power. His power is limited, but he's allowed to have some power. Because Jesus hasn't been enthroned yet. And David hasn't been enthroned yet. And in fact, it'll be 15 years before David takes the throne. From the time of his anointing to the time of his kingship is actually 15 years. And I love that God didn't leave that 15 years out of the Bible. Now, he could have. He could have went from the anointing to the kingship and just skipped those 15 years. But he didn't. He put that in the Bible because he wanted us to see the process. He wanted us to see the things that happen in between. Because it's important that we know that even if God anoints you for something, if he has, has given you a word in your life that this is his plan for you, and he's anointed you for something, and it hasn't come to pass yet, it's because it's not time. Those things don't always happen instantaneously. There's a process. And the process isn't always easy. 
But if we keep the faith and keep going, God will get us there. So David is anointed. In the meantime, meanwhile, verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So the spirit of the Lord came upon David, but it departed from Saul. Verse 15. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre, which is a harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So a couple things here. The spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, so Saul was now vulnerable. Saul did not have the hand of protection of God. He was vulnerable. Um, He had pushed the spirit away so many times and said, no, go away. I'm going to do things my way so many times that the Lord finally just gave him what he wanted. It's like it talks about over in Romans chapter 1. He turned him over to a reprobate mind. So it says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. What? What does that mean? Right? But listen, Satan and his demons can do nothing without God's permission. We see that over in Job, right? Satan had to go to God and ask permission to mess with Job. We see that in the New Testament. Jesus tells Simon Peter in the New Testament that that Satan has asked to, to sift him like wheat. Jesus himself was tempted in the desert by Satan. And God allowed it. God allowed it. It's not like there's this big cosmic battle going on between God and Satan and sometimes God loses. God never loses. God never loses. So God is in control of everything. Satan's power is limited. So the question becomes, if Satan can't do anything without God's permission, why in the world would God ever give his permission? Why would God allow evil? And there's many reasons, actually, and I'm only going to cover a couple today, but ultimately... The main thing is that it, because it, it, it serves his greater purpose. It serves God's greater purpose. He can use all things for good. He can turn all things into his plan and his purpose. For one thing, it gives us a choice. He gives us a choice. If there was no Satan, if God were the only one, if he were our only choice, how would we know that that love was real? How would we know? It's like that that guy that's always asking that girl out. And she's like, if you were the last man on the face of the earth, I might go out with you. And he's like, so you're saying there's a chance. Because if there was no other choice... She would choose him. God's giving us a choice. He wants us to love him. He wants us to choose him, but he's not going to force that. He's not going to force that. God says, if you don't want me, if you don't want to walk with me, if you don't want to be led by me, if you don't want to follow me, you have a choice. 
You have a choice. You can be seduced and deceived by Satan. That's your option. That's your choice. It's like if I told my daughter, Brianna, if, if I said, Brianna, I don't want you to go out tonight. I don't want you to go anywhere tonight, okay? And then I took her by the hand and I led her to her room and I shoved her in there. <laughs> and I closed the door and I locked the door. And then I went out and got a hammer and nail and some two by fours. And I, and I barricaded the door. And then I got some chains and some more locks. I've dreamed about this. Some more locks. <laughs> and then I board up all the windows and then I leave. And I come back in a few hours and I take down all the boards and I take down all the chains and I take off all the locks and I open the door and I go, oh, Brianna, you sweet thing. Thank you so much for staying home. I am so proud of you. Well done, my good and faithful daughter. No, right? She didn't have a choice. It's meaningless. It means nothing if there's no choice. God gives us a choice. Follow him or not follow him. Obey him or not obey him. There has to be another option. There has to be another option to make the decision to follow God. And Satan is that tool. Satan is that instrument that God uses to give us a choice. Another reason that God allows evil is to turn us around to turn us back to him, which leads me to the second part of the scripture. Notice that his attendant says that when this evil spirit comes, we'll get a guy to come and play music for you so that you'll feel better. Because in other words, what you need is a worship leader. Right? Because worship is a spiritual battleground. You know? When we praise God, when we sing to God, when we put a voice to our faith... Satan is reminded of his inferiority. He hates worship. He'll do anything to keep us from worship. Have you ever noticed every Sunday morning something goes wrong? You know, your car won't start, your pops are froze, your alarm didn't go off, your kid got sick. Why? Is it a coincidence? No. Satan wants to keep us from church. He wants to keep us from worship. He wants you to run in here frantic. He wants you to be late. He wants you to be unfocused. It's like, I know you've all done this too. We come in here. We're, we're, we look like we're singing. We're mouthing our words that are on the screen, right? You know, and it's like, but he wants to distract us. So he, we've already come in frantic. We're already kind of off anyway. We're trying to put away the morning. And we're, we're mouthing the words. But then we're just like, oh, cute shoes. <laughs> Did I put on deodorant? <laughs> yeah, I wonder, I wonder how long this, the message is going to be today. What are we going to eat after church? I'm kind of craving Cracker Barrel. We do this, don't we? We lose our focus. Satan wants to keep us distracted. That's why I encourage you when you come to church to, to plan to be here early. Plan to be here early. Go in there and get your coffee, hug your friends, make some new friends. 
come in here, get your seat, get your stuff situated, and be ready when the worship team walks out here. Be ready to worship the Lord and to focus on Him because the Bible says that when two or three are gathered, He is here in our midst. You know, I've often wondered what it will be like someday to, to be in heaven and to praise God in His presence. But we are in His presence. Where two or three are gathered, we are in His presence. So we're not just singing about God. We're singing to God. And we should be excited about that and enthusiastic about that and focused on that. Worship is important. Verse 17, so Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. So his reputation precedes him, right? So out of all the people in the kingdom that they could have chosen to come and play music, you think he's the only musician? No. Out of all the people that they could have chosen, that they would have thought of to come and play music with the, for the king, they thought of David. Coincidence? No, I think not. Verse 19. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So David had gone back to tending sheep. He's been anointed as the king of Israel, but in the meantime, in the meantime, he's out tending his sheep. He still lives with his dad. He still lives with his brothers. He still puts his pants on one leg at a time. Except they probably didn't wear pants, but you know what I'm saying. Um, but he went back to his regular life, just being a regular guy. Because in the meantime, God's preparing him. God's preparing him to the, be the king. Not so much in kingly duties, but in character. In character and in his relationship with him. He's, he's in training to be the king, so to speak. And I want you to know this morning that you are in training. That you are in training. Think of yourself as a person in training. Whatever you're going through in your life, whatever's happening in your life right now is preparing you for something that's going to happen in the future. God's getting you ready. And I don't know what it is, and you don't know what it is, and we don't have to know what it is. Because all we have to do is be faithful. The Bible says if we're faithful in the small stuff, that he can trust us with the big stuff. All we have to do is be faithful. Verse 20, So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers, which is a, a trusted elite position with the king. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. See, God orchestrated this whole situation. It was a God thing that David was the one chosen to go play music. And it's a God thing that, that David has found favor in Saul's eyes and that Saul wants him to stick around. Because as David sticks around, he's going to be learning about being a king and what the responsibilities of a king are. This is no coincidence. Verse 23, whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. The best way to overcome feelings of anxiety and depression and, and, and even of spiritual attacks is to praise God. 
And I know that in those times, sometimes we just we don't feel like praising God. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Put on some worship music and let the Lord speak to your heart. Start praising Jesus and the enemy will flee. But you need to know that that's only a temporary solution. It's only temporary because it says that, that whenever the Spirit, so it tells us that it came back, it didn't stay gone because it was only temporary. Because what Saul really needed to do was repent and turn back to God to be set free. That's what he really needed to do. But he was too stubborn to do that. We'll see that he doesn't do that. And in later chapters, things just really, really go downhill. We'll see how that works out for him. It doesn't go well. I'll go ahead and tell you that. The remainder of his life is filled with bitterness, pride, jealousy, revenge. All of those things. It's, it's not happy. He, he, he's considered to be mentally ill. Things get so bad. And all he needed to do was to repent and turn back to God. And he could have done that at any point. It was never too late. He could have done that at any point. But he was too stubborn. He was too stubborn. And there are people in this room today that need to repent and turn back to God. You've been choosing your way over his way, the world's way over his way, for way too long. And he's calling you back to him. He's calling you to agree with him that your sin is sin. That we don't pick and choose. What's in here is God's word. And when he says it's a sin, it's a sin. But it's never too late to repent and turn back to him. It's never too late. We all have some kind of sin in our lives that's keeping us separated from God. And if something just came to your mind when I said that, that's it. That's the thing that's keeping you separated from God. Whatever came to your mind, it's the Spirit convicting you of it. It's God telling you to confess it and to turn back to Him. And you can do that right here, right now, today. Do it. Because God has a plan for you. He sees you. And He has a plan for you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you don't just leave us in our sin, Lord, but that you call us back to you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room today that's stuck in their sin, Lord, that you would convict their heart and that they would turn back to you. Lord, that you would draw them to you today. And if there's anyone in this room today that has not accepted you, Lord, as their personal Savior, that has not made you the shepherd of their life, God, I pray that you would call them right now and that they would just say in their hearts that they know, God, that you are Lord and they want to follow you with their lives. And I thank you, God, for making it that simple and that easy for us to come to you. 
Lord, when you are looking for men and women after God's own heart, Lord, I pray that you will find them here. That you will show us your will for our lives and that we will follow. You are the great shepherd. And we love you and we praise you, God. In Jesus' name.